HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's September 27th, 2016. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 in the Good Beer Seal. Beer Sessions Radio is brought to you by Union Beer Distributors, suppliers of world-class ales and lagers. And we've got some special guests joining us tonight, including Josh Bernstein, who has a new book out about IPAs. Hey, Jimmy. All right, Josh, welcome back, man. Thanks for having me. And Eric Olson from Greenpoint Beer and Ale. Hey, Jimmy. How are you? And you just started, what, canning your first IPAs? Yes, yes, first canning run. So we're going to talk a lot about IPAs. And a special guest, Sarah Maya from uh, North Carolina's Fontaflora Brewery. How are you? Hi, Jim. First time on the radio? It is. All right. So we got some country girls and uh, country boys here. Have some fun. <laughs> and if you uh, check us out on Twitter, at Beer underscore Sessions, Maggie's out there tweeting live. So, you know, this, this is a special day for me because, you know, Josh, I've been following your career a long time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, since the success of the Complete Beer Course, you know, which is what, in like a second printing? I don't even know. I think we're up to 10th or 11th printing My right God. now. I know. People keep buying them. I have no idea why. But, but this this doing... book came in the mail for me a couple weeks ago. So you didn't buy it, Jimmy? I don't have to. You don't have to buy it. Well, then. So. I do, it's one thing I have. I have a lot of beer books. <laughs> and I love Keep sending them to me. They're awesome. Right? Do you have a lot of beer books, Sarah? I do, yeah. Yeah, down in... Uh, so you guys were in North Carolina. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah, Western North Carolina. All right. Yeah. And, uh, Eric, do you have a lot of beer books? I, I do. I have a, a whole wall of them, actually. <laughs> whole brew all the way up. I think I've seen pictures of you with like all your beers and books and everything but that's a great book man it's it's beautiful but the theme is like you know the complete ipa yeah i mean i think right now we're in this uh ipa moment in american and international drinking culture right now it's real five ten years ago it was all double ipas aggressiveness and things that kind of knocked your taste buds off and nowadays i mean the ipa it's um soft and tropical and fruity it's spiced with coriander it's done with grapefruit it's basically if you dream it you can brew it with ipas and people keep drinking it 
And what's the biggest change for you? Like, look, we can take a step back. We were talking earlier about, for me, like there was that watershed moment when Spiegelau made up an IPA glass and we were at an event and there was like a, a Sierra Nevada and IPA, a Dogfish Head IPA and Great Divide Titan IPA. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, one of the, the moments when you realize IPAs are going to become a big thing when people like Sierra Nevada and uh, New Belgium started making IPAs, these are breweries that were founded on... You know, Sierra Nevada did the pale ale, uh, New Belgium did Belgian-style beers and the sour stuff, and then they came out with uh, Ranger IPA for New Belgium, Torpedo for Sierra, and you just saw these people started carrying, if some of the country's biggest brewers started carrying that much about IPA, you knew it was going to kind of hit critical mass. Yeah. And then w- what inspired the book? Well, you know, the more I went around with a complete beer course, the more everyone I talked to was like, I love IPAs. I love IPAs. No, I love IPAs. I wanted to kind of dive down to see why people loved IPAs so much. And then the more I looked into it, the more I realized that the IPAs become this insane vehicle for growth for breweries. And it's spurring both the creativity and also this like newfound agriculture with all the new hop varieties that are popping up out there with mosaic and citra all this research started back in the early 2000s and now we're kind of reaping the benefits of it all and these brewers are armed with all these great new varieties new techniques and so we're just watching this um slow turn away i think from bitterness to becoming like much more approachable softer ipas which are in turn attracting a wider audience because bitterness has always sort of been that um you know, people love bitterness, people hate bitterness, but it's not something everybody agrees on. But I think, like, if you give people a fruity IPA, something that's soft, it's tropical, I mean, you find it attracts a much wider audience. Like, Eric, with your stuff, you know, the first uh, couple beers you did out of the gate for canning, you know, the extra pale ale, which is kind of an IPA in different clothes. Yeah, close. Yeah, and then uh, you got the double IPA, and we're drinking it right now, and it's just, you know, so soft, tropical, fruity, something that it doesn't stop you. You just want to keep drinking it despite the 8% ABV. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um I think a lot of people say Cheers, they don't Josh. like IPAs, but I think a lot of people just don't like the bitterness in IPAs. Yeah. That's really it. Um, so, yeah, a lot of late addition hopping, um, a lot of dry hopping. So you're just pushing all the hops to the very end, and you're you're maintaining all that malt sweetness and you know getting a lot of fruit out of it without the bitterness. What, what do you think are some of the kind of the hallmarks of what's happening in the Northeast right now? You're, you're just mentioning sweetness on there. In the West Coast, Pacific Northwest, I always identified a bit more sort of like malt backbone, a bit of caramel. San Diego, really bone dry, clean, crisp, like scaffolding for just like hop explosion. But, you know, with these Northeast IPAs right now, you tend to have a bit more sweetness. How do you go about keeping it in there? Uh, For us, it's um, it's base grains, uh, choice of base grains. Um, If you have some wheat or oats is is pretty typical to use to build up the body and add sort of a silky mouthfeel. Mashing really high. So there's some residual sugars in the beer. And then it's really just hop choice. you know, I think a lot of the piney, more uh, almost savory, oniony, dank hops aren't aren't as popular. I would say right now. So the more tropical, more juicy, all, all the uh, you know, papaya, guava, mango flavors and hops are the ones that are really doing well. And then Sarah, so you're you're brewing down in North Carolina. That's correct. Are you guys making IPAs? <laughs> we we make a couple of IPAs. We're trying to get in on that, you know, dank, juicy IPA train. But, like, you know, more on the clear level, seeing if we can do that, pull that off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think right now a lot of people talk about the hazy IPA, but you don't have to always have a hazy IPA to have an IPA full of flavor, like a Firestone Walker's Luponic Distortion series, like clean as a whistle, but full of flavor and aroma. So there's a lot of ways you can kind of approach it sort of like new school. Well, let's take a, take a step back. So we're talking about some of the iconic you know, breweries that are making IPAs. But let's go way back. I like your intro in the book. There's a little history. Mm-hmm. And you've got a lot of breweries in there that, that I've never heard of. 
So what was what was the process of, of writing the book? Did, did you already know all these breweries, or did you, did you actually go out and look for new IPAs? You know, it's funny. People are always like, how long did the book take you to write? And the short answer is it was about eight months from start to finish. But the long answer is I've been writing about beer for almost 15 years right now. So by traveling across the country, you're able to kind of um, be introduced to all these brewers, see the trends kind of bubbling up from a from, you know, a pint glass first perspective on there, too. And the whole goal for me was to really provide a broad scope to show that we were talking a bit out there earlier on that, you know, 10 years ago, you think IPAs, you think San Diego, you think Portland. Uh, and, you know, and nowadays the IPA is kind of happening everywhere. So for the book, I really wanted to just give this great global snapshot of the IPA movement. And to do that, I really relied a lot upon uh, fellow beer writers to kind of vet the list to make sure that no one was like, you didn't include that brewery and I'm not going to buy this book. Because it's kind of <laughs> consumer behavior is a crazy thing where if sometimes if the uh, – Thing, if, you, if the thing they love the most is not in the book, they will not get the book sometimes, even though I look at it as also an opportunity for someone to learn something new. But people want to see this thing in there to have a validation on there. And I just wanted to really, you know, make it as complete as possible. And what are a couple breweries that I haven't heard of? Because there's quite a few in there. You want to mention some of your favorites from the book? Uh, you know, I think Melvin Brewing out from uh, Colorado is just doing the double IPA game amazingly. They're out in Jackson, Wyoming, and they, you know, they're kind of brewing in a town that's had very uh, strict brewing laws and regulations, so they came out of there, and they're almost brewing in a you know, seclusion in a sense, and just them toying away in the mad science laboratory in the back of a Thai restaurant. They create this wow. insanely... Well, it's funny. As soon as you said Melvin, yeah. both Eric and Sarah are nodding their heads. So you guys <laughs> tell me about Melvin. They make great beer. Where, where have you had the beers? Have you ever met these guys? Mostly there in, in Colorado, yeah, when we've, we visited. So you get to travel a lot with Fonta Florida. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It is cool. It's and, very cool. And you've been out there too, Eric? No, I haven't visited the brewery, but I was at uh, the Craft Brewers Conference last year, and there was a uh, Yakima Hop Growers uh, mm-hmm. event, and they did all these one single hop varietal IPAs for the event, and they were all really great. So where are they from? Melvin is from? Uh, oh, Jackson, Wyoming. Wyoming. And then just you guys from being out there, you've, you've met them, you've tasted it. And uh, is, is there another IPA or brewery that... that that you'd like to tell us about? Uh, you know, I was just out in Portland, Oregon, and, you know, it, it's really fascinating to me how styles are evolving so quickly right now. So we're just talking about this sort of, like, juicy Northeast-style dank train, as Sarah so elegantly... <laughs> dank train. Dank train <laughs> made happen on there. And, you know, before, you, if you go back in history, you know, a couple hundred years ago, it took forever. Style was all about growing up in a in a region with the availability of grains and crops and water and brewing intellect and know-how. And nowadays, people just... The rise of travel, people are able to get these beers and replicate the beers in a much faster way. So the Northeast IPAs become this thing where we've got this sort of like hype cycle that's sped around so fast right now. But you're watching it kind of being replicated and done it's across, like a, like a heady topper or something. Not yeah, sort of like that. You know, like more kind of what Eric's doing right now. That sort of like very soft, um, tropical flavor, but great notion out in Portland. You know, they start up out there, kind of um, trying to specialize in the Vermont or Northeast style IPAs, and they um, are doing fantastic stuff and culinary inspired beers taste like blueberry muffins and all this other stuff, which sounds silly when you talk about it, but when you drink it, it's actually really delicious. Wow. Hey, let's talk about the beer. So, Eric, tell us about the beer, and then Sarah, you, you can taste it and tell me what you think, too. Sure. Uh, this one is, I guess you would consider it a Northeast-inspired IPA. Um, British-based malt. Uh, it's topped with Mosaic, uh, Simcoe, and Galaxy. Um, so it's got a lot of sort of mixed fruit. It's got some berries. It's a little bit hazy. Um, 
I guess one other secret that's been sort of thrown around for making beers like this is putting flour in the kettle. So if you add some, like, uh, sort of turbidity to the beer, it actually will hold on to hop oils. So it gives a more mouthfeel and sort of uh, weight to the beer, I would say. So you're admitting to adding flour? Yep. How much flour do you add? (laughs) (laughs) We've we've played around. Um, We don't do it all the time. It does have a little... uh, This beer does have a little bit of flour in it, though, um, for the first time because we wanted to mess around with it. But, yeah, it's, it's funny because, you know... Five ten years ago, the double IPA was always supposed to be so stripped down and so light in color and so simple and just sort of be a, a th- sort of light-bodied backbone for hops and hop bitterness. But now it's like everything's being pushed back. The body's being pushed back into the beer and sort of it's good. a big mouth May feel. Mouthfeel, yeah. This is really good. It's, and this, have you just started canning? Yeah, we, uh, we did our first can run. Uh, Tell everybody where you guys are. We're on 7 North 15th Street in Greenpoint, right on the Williamsburg border. Um, so up until this point, we uh, were kegging all of our beer, um, but we just did our first two cans, uh, the one we're having now, Instant Credibility, and uh, an extra pale ale called Smash Street. Um, what, what's an extra pale ale? Well, <laughs> that, you know, we, we sort of uh, threw that name around as sort of like, well, it's not quite a pale ale, and it's not quite an IPA. Um, it sort of hovers between the two. It's 6.2%, so it's bigger than most pale ales. It's smaller than most IPAs. So we sort of landed on that. Um, and Smash Street is is similar to this one as well. It's uh, hopped with Citra and Nelson Sauvin exclusively. Um, and fermented with coal yeast. So, uh, yeah, it's it's right in line with... How, you know, now calling a pale ale, how do you see sales do on that versus double IP and the know, cam release day? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, the percentage <laughs> points matter when it comes to can sales. It's pretty interesting. But, uh, you know, I like them both. And, um, yeah, we sold Instacred a little bit faster than we did Smash Street. So, um, you, so know. you think are people buying the cans like there's more collectibles, stronger beers? I think so. I think it's more impact. You know, it's uh, either bang for your buck or it's more impressive of a beer because it you know there's, it carries more alcohol with it. But um, the, yeah, the can double IPA is kind of been the predominant form of can. I mean, as far as a trading vehicle, the, the can double IPA has become bar none what people are looking for right now. I was just down in uh, Virginia at Richmond's The Vale, which has become known for their sort of um, northeast hazy, juicy, whatever IPAs. And they did like 640 cases of like four beers of all double IPA and sold them all out in a day. And they were doing it as an experiment and they got rid of them all. And that is a lot of beer to sell of all double IPAs in one day. Directly That's from great. your brewery, people come and, in. And you have a section on double IPAs. I you? do have a section on double IPAs in there. You know, but it is, it's funny how the double IPA, I thought the double IPAs were going to kind of go away. That, um, we kind of reached the limit of uh, bitterness and booziness and just like how aggressive we could go. But sort of this um, this new approach with new uh, hop varieties has kind of um, brought the double IPA back into uh, people's uh, stomachs in a big way. And they're getting better. They're, I, you know, I don't know if better is the right word on there, but I mean, they're getting um, the palates changing. Our palates are changing every single day. And so, I mean, what I liked five, ten years ago, I mean, I'm drinking a Hellas and a double IPA, and I never would have drank a Hellas ten years ago. And so it's just, um, better is not the right word, but I just think they're getting, um, they're diving deeper into the style and creating new flavors that didn't previously exist in this subcategory. And now you look, you've got in that category a double IPA, you've got plenty of the elder, Russian River, you got Hetty Topper Alchemist, Sip of Sunshine from Lawson's Finest, 
And there was one. I, I was in uh, Newport, Rhode Island this summer. Uh, Graysale, maybe? Their captain's daughter? Captain's daughter, yeah. Yeah, you know, you really tried. You know, it was kind of hard to create the book together because I wanted to only have one IPA for every brewer on there. And so doing that, you have to create this entire architecture structure and then make sure you don't because you don't want to have an entire book of like, here are five great ballast point IPAs, and here are things that you really want to provide a big broad scope. So it's really hard to figure out one beer for every brewer on there, too. Well, we're having a lot of fun with this book, a complete IPA book by Josh Bernstein. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Beer Sessions Radio. Yeah, boo. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. You become a member. Hey, big shout-out our buddy David Tadashur in, in the engineering booth. He's been with us this whole year, and uh, it's great having you, David. Thanks for all the work you do. You got it, man. All right, man. So uh, with Josh Bernstein, his new book, Complete IPA. Hey. All right. Eric from Greenpoint Beer and Ales. How's it going? And uh, Miss uh, Wanda Flora here from... Uh, <laughs> You're like at Wander Floor on Instagram, right? That's correct. Yeah. So you have some fun. You, you guys actually, you're, you're in North Carolina, but you actually go out and travel a lot as we a brewery. Do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, it's a lot of fun. And wh- why, though? Like, wh- you're a little brewery in North Carolina. Why are you guys, you went in Wyoming, you up in Boston? Uh, just getting our name out there, mostly. Um, North Carolina beer scene is, it's pretty big. It's growing rapidly. Um, but we seem to get invited being as small as we are to well, I know you cool guys stuff. after the show we're going to go to Tourist and Greenpoint that's correct you guys, but it's not a dinner like tell me how long the party's been going on it's been going on since noon 12 noon until midnight <laughs> so when did your party start <laughs> oh, not, not until now actually okay. uh, I went into the city and kind of wandered around so tell us about Fonda Floor I know I know uh, Josh was instrumental in bringing you guys here. To no, that show. was Justin. Justin, Justin, Justin yeah. Two. J. Justin, J names are similar. <laughs> now you know. Sound you. like you sound like my mom. <laughs> Confusing me for my brother. I'm, John. A, I'm almost old as old as your mom, man. Yeah, but, um, but so like, tell us. So you guys are like agricultural base. You're, you're there in North Carolina. Tell us like the philosophy behind Fonte Flor. Uh, so we're a three and a half barrel brewing system, and we have seven barrel fermenters. Um, so we're super small. We like to focus on buying all of our adjuncts from local farmers. Um, we forage a little bit, but we don't like to be known as a foraging brewery. Um, but we like to make really weird saisons and wild ales, do a lot of barrel-aged stuff. 
We just bought our first fooder. All right, so man. That's exciting. Food part. If you like a, a big step, like you're in the next, oh, next man. league. Next level stuff yeah. right there. Yeah. So you talk about, you know, it, it was so interesting because you guys were kind of doing your own thing down there and all of a sudden people heard about it and yeah. your bottle release has got to be kind of out of control. So how do you go about managing that? Um, uh, it's, we're, it's still a work in progress, to be honest. Um, you know, at first it was really easy and we would just have a small line and then, you know, a few bottle releases ago, it got a little out of control. Um, and some people said that it wasn't great on the internet. And so we decided that we were going to try to approach it from a different angle. And now we just silently release pretty much everything Mm -hmm. just to keep it. Um, we like to share the beer with the locals as much as possible. So that's helped with that. But, yeah, I don't know. People really like what we're doing, mm-hmm. which is crazy. And Because it's always so interesting why with 4,600 breweries in the country, how one or two kind of, you know, take off. It, even in certain towns on there, too, that, you know, all of a sudden it's just things swirl around it and it becomes yeah. a bigger thing. Where is Morganson? I have not. Yeah. I, I, I've, been to, I've been to Asheville a bunch. I can't even pick out Morganson on yeah, Australia. Exactly. But you have a funny accent, too. When I first met you, I thought you were from Australia. No. It's, it's from the South, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hill country, Scottish man. Scottish roots. But, yeah, but that was a good question, like, really, because it's like suddenly it's Fonta Flora, and I was like, Justin has this event at Tours, and I'm like, Fonta Flora. But you guys were at in Boston at the Copenhagen Beer Celebration. Yeah, so you really yeah. are. You're right, Josh. Like, how, how does it? It's like wildfire. How does it spread? I think the internet really is huge. Internet, Instagram, uh, the fact of beer trading, beer gets. They beer don't trading. Ha- they don't have to worry about distribution channels to get their beer out there. I mean, I'll never forget. Other half was telling me that a couple days after one of their, um, I think, anniversary IPA was released. There's a picture up on the internet of it being drank or shown in front of the, the Wailing Wall. In yeah. the Western Wall and like in Israel, which is crazy. How there's no distributor that's going to send the beer there, but someone went there, picked it up, took it back, or sent it somewhere around the world at great cost and great expense. Yeah, the most expensive double IPA ever. I personally Amazing. love beer trading. I think yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah, anytime anybody comes in to buy bottles and they tell me they're going to trade, I'm like, absolutely. It's free advertising for you guys. Yes. I mean, it spreads the word. Yes, and and they're probably the most vocal supporters as well. Mm-hmm. You want to talk more about that beer trade? No, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not the one. I don't really beer trade, unfortunately. So you know, I've, got, I've got nothing to say. And Fonda Florida, but I want to talk more about Boston. So I didn't get to go, but Justin was there. The Copenhagen Beer Celebration. So that what was, was it so like for fun. you? It was so fun. you brought some beers back. So we're drinking, what, a trillion right now? Yes, yes. These are actually um, courtesy of Mike from Torst. He was going to try to be here, but he had to organize this whole event for us 12 hour party yeah the 12 hour party people yeah (laughs) yeah um boston was crazy it was really great um i think that mckellar really throw they threw a a really great party um it was a little different than their event in copenhagen we went to that in may um i think that that came from meeting Mikkel and at shelton festival in st pete it's just like this weird tumble of meeting people in the right place at the right time so yeah boston was wonderful you want to have a question for her eric you're like the, the new york guy i'm really interested in fauna flora and what um like you mentioned adjuncts um so local farms 
corn, rye, wheat, that kind of thing? Um, Sometimes, yes. Uh, We get a lot of weird grains from farmers. Um, We've been trying to utilize more heritage grains in our saisons. Uh, We did a a grisette series, actually, with uh, sun gold spelt, um, Renza bruzy rye, just some really fun things that were starting to disappear, but local farmers have been bringing them back over the years. So that's... Yeah. So you work with Riverbend Malt a lot and Brian there? Yeah, Yeah, we do Riverbend um, and then Redtail Grains. Um, they're a little further away from us, um, but they're really cool. And their farmer brings all their grain and like this old truck and it breaks down all the time. So mm. that's like this, I don't know, really cute part of it. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that, uh, you know, I think one of the things that really got people's attention was just sort of um, the foraging aspect. But you're saying that you didn't want to be known as a foraging brewery. Yeah. How, how come... Do you want to make that distinction? Um, so, you know, we, we do buy most of our adjunct ingredients from farmers. Um, we, we forage, but it's so occasional, and we don't want to take away from, and I'm always preaching the good word about scratch brewing in Ava, Illinois. They are truly a foraging brewery. You know, they go out in the woods around their brewery and morel mushrooms and chanterelles and, you know, dead leaves and sticks and bark and stuff in their beer. And they do really amazing things. And so we, we, we with our popularity, we, that's building. We don't want to take away from breweries that are actually, like, really foraging for a majority of their adjuncts. Because foraging enough to fill a fooder is going to break yeah, you down. I don't know. We did um, one fun story that we like to tell people. We did a honeysuckle beer a couple of years ago. I mean, honeysuckles are so... Mm, I remember being a little mm. kid, they are so awesome, but also so tiny. They are so tiny. And so to get, you know, 10 pounds of honeysuckle oh. to actually make a legitimate beer with is kind of an intense thing in finding that much. And so we ended up, you know... Up until this year, it was really just the brewmaster Todd and I doing pretty much everything. And so we spent, um, I don't know, 10 hours one day gathering honeysuckle and ended up getting sun poisoning and poison ivy. And it was just the worst <laughs> That's why I like to live in New York City. <laughs> I don't know about the country. but <laughs> so, And talking about your job, so you're, you're listed as general manager. So tell us, like, you, you must do, like, 20 different jobs. Oh, yeah. So, like, what are all the things you do for the brewery? Oh, so many. I wear a lot of hats. Um, and I like to change my business card a lot. But I think the best way to describe what I do is I'm a facilitator. I make things happen. Um, but I, you know, I do the general managing. I do all of our logistics and event planning up until recently. We've we've got someone on now that's kind of taken that weight off. Um prepping all of our ingredients um i was up until recently the closest thing we had to an assistant brewer um all the things it's kind of hard and and more more of your job so you were in boston yes and you had beer sent there yes and you're in new york today yes so how do you get beer sent to other states i ship pallets but like what do you do you have like permits or how, how do you actually oh, get wow. to other states because i know <laughs> i know you do this is a really boring part of the business <laughs> but when she talks it's nice right? yeah well you you know there's this, this thing called the the federal government and the ttv and you have to make everything right by them first and once you get that together um it's pretty easy you know every state's different every state has their different laws and 
you know, fees that you have to pay to get in. And, you know, sometimes it's per brewery, sometimes it's per brand. And New York's actually really easy. Um, you just have to have federal label so approval. Like what, you, and, you use a distributor here? Yeah, I used Union Beer, and, you know, they got us in and took care of everything, really. They made it super easy for us to, yeah, they were great. So. All right. Cheers, you guys. It wasn't. It wasn't always that way. It seemed like when you know guys like like Shelton Brothers doing their festival and and McKellar doing his festival. I mean, from Denmark to to Boston. I mean, you know, you're seeing this world of festivals. I know you mentioned some of the IPA festivals. Yeah, but I think I think I mean like all these the regulations are state by state. I mean, it's like it's not you can't really make a blanket statement about the ease of shipping nope. beer here and there, and so it's just. Uh, you know, in this one case, I guess, like, you know, there it, it's easy to get to. I, I, you hear a lot about the ease of New York City's um, legislation and laws. But I guess this is one of the one cases where uh, able to make it happen. It now, Josh, from your book. Should I read the, you want me to read the image credits? Yeah, my, oh, you Should can, I read the image credits? <laughs> well, how many of our friends took photos for this book? Now? I don't know. But uh, top five IPAs consumed by volume yeah. while writing the complete IPA book. Yeah, you get really. Yeah, read that to us. Come it, on. It becomes like you're in a fugue state of just uh, getting drunk. And writing. When and you I, mentioned the reading the photo credits, jo- uh, Justin shook his head. He said, no. I can't read the photo credits. <laughs> but you can read your top All five images. IPs. Copyright. I'm, no, no uh, I started writing the book in uh, December, end of November, early December uh, 2015. So it's here in Nevada Celebration Ale. You can buy it by the 12 pack. Uh, Founders All Day IPA because it's 15 pack of it. And it's awesome in Bell Sorted <laughs> Ale because sometimes you just want to take your head off with a taste of home. I like and that one. I grew up in Ohio and uh, Sculpin's at every single bodega. And then the Evil Twin Intangible Ale Sour Bikini. So about 3 point something percent of just like very scrumptious. Some of the tastes like you're eating like, can- like sour candy in the best way possible. But it was all about, you know, when you're uh, writing a book, it's a crazy journey when you, um, you basically have to create this entire architectural system and then it's like creating this house diagram and you have to fill it in with all these things and stay on track and don't go crazy and it's very depressing some days because you just don't feel like you're getting anywhere and uh this book was kind of nuts because the first two books i did were um you know before we had a kid and so then we had a kid and then before i could just kind of wake up at six in the morning and write and then work up until 11 o'clock with no one bothering me at all <laughs> and just become like a quiet cranky drunk writer man just like writing like mad and nowadays i had this tiny human that needed me to do something and actually be engaged and stuff and writing is such a sort of personal thing where you have to lock into your head but then being a parent being everything else have to be outward so it's just like constant pull and tug of like inward outward inward outward and then our house the 13 years that we'd lived in our building got foreclosed upon so we had to move so in the middle of all this stuff we had to pack up 13 years of life and move to a new house and then while taking care of a kid over christmas and it was just sort of like while writing a book and i actually hit my deadline only two weeks late which is testament to how fast I was writing and how many of these beers I actually drank. Good, man. I, I like that part of the book. And we're going to talk about some more things. But first, Eric, since we're talking about Josh, it's actually nice, Josh. All about me. The craft of writing. Uh, Follow Bernstein. <laughs> the craft of a GM, Sarah. And then you, your craft as, you're, you're the brewer at Greenwood. Yeah, uh, Ted Brewer, lead brewer, I guess. Yeah. Yep. And what's your typical day like? Oh, um, today was a lot of cleaning and transferring, which uh, is pretty typical for us. We brew quite a few batches a, a week because we are a five-barrel system. Um, so planning for tomorrow's brew day, we're, we're doing two batches and moving a lot of beer from tank to tank and cleaning. Um, that's 
the vast majority of, of what I do. That's cool. And Josh, you open a next beer, Hardywood. That's in your book, too, isn't it? Yeah, Hardywood. They're a hoppler where they did a bunch of uh, local wood and the double IPA. This is their RVA, which is kind of a cool story. So they passed out a bunch of rhizomes, which is sort of the precursor to hop vines. Uh, and then they pass them out to folks in the community, and then they grew the hops for them. And then they, once a year, they go back and they collect all the hops, and they create this sort of like community-inspired IPA. And so every year it's going to be a little bit different. And, you know, the longer the project goes on, the better the hops are going to be. Because, you know, three years in, you start getting the yields and stuff. So it's this really fun collaborative project where they're, they give away the rhizomes. People grow it, bring them back there. They have this big giant party and then they um, get to make an IPA. So who are the Hardy, the Hardywood in Virginia? It's funny. Over the years, a, a gentleman used to come up with samples of Hardywood and, and be really nice and taste me on it. So I've tried a bunch of them, but I don't really know who they are. It's like a mysterious man shows up. Who's this mysterious man, Jimmy? I don't know. He's a friend of Hardywood, and he comes to New York, and he lets me taste the beers. Uh, I think uh, Eric and Patrick started off working in uh, New York City. I think Eric worked for the uh, Union. I won the Union who brought up uh, Alcera and Fontaflora's beer. Then they uh, wanted to go back home to Richmond. Richmond's a fantastic town, uh, growing, vibrant, like every... You know, mid-sized city in America right now, they're getting this sort of amazing, thriving brewing scene. They're kind of out of the gates doing it up, and they make everything. It's funny. They start off with a single, like a Belgian single. They got a Pils. They got Cream Ale, but also a fair amount of IPAs, too. And so it was. Uh, I did a book signing there uh, last Saturday, so it was fun. Cool, man. All right. Hey, a quick shout-out. Uh, there's a special event coming up October 14th and 15th at the Lexington Avenue Armory. It's this fall's New York City Craft Beer Festival serving up 150 beers, ciders, and meads. I'll be presenting there during three sessions on Friday and Saturday. Be sure to check them out at NewYorkCityCraftBeerFest.com. All right, we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Whoa. <laughs> Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's heritageradionetwork.org, and here we are. Beer Sessions. We've been uh, drinking a lot of IPAs, double IPAs, so we're feeling it. Josh, let's yes. go. you got an event coming up with cans. We, you're like, you're just the word cans. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we're... Like, kind of Trillium, Hardywood, can. Point. What else do we have? So, so, so here's the thing. So I think right now in New York City, a lot of our really great new brewers are canning their beers. And so to get them, primarily you have to go to the breweries themselves, which is 
awesome for sales, but it's also really tough for people to go out to Greenpoint in uh, in Brooklyn. They go out to uh, Glendale for Finback and then go all the way back out to uh, other half down in Carroll Gardens. And so, I mean, you can spend all day long driving around in a truck collecting these cans. So the idea was to sort of collect sort of the best of the local canned IPA movement and have a party at threes. And so we're going to do that in the backyard. I think a loose title can jam on um, basically the marathon weekend. And the marathon route runs right up 4th Avenue, right by three. So going to take over the backyard and have a whole bunch of cans. And um yeah, and actually, is that yeah. also a book event for you? Yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work it in somehow. Come so by I, the book, check it out. It's eh. a beautiful book, and I, I, if you want to thumb through it, Eric, I, I bet there's Eric, a number Eric already of, got a copy. Eric came to my party, unlike you, Jimmy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Last week, Brooklyn Brewery was, the, uh, but thumb through and, and, and pick out a couple uh, couple breweries that you That's think I may not know or, or you may not know because it is the breath. You even have some Italian IPAs in there. You got bread IPAs. I, I really, I you think you did a great job, man. Thank you. I hope so. I think my mom's proud. <laughs> but does she does she drink the beers? No, she doesn't really drink much beer. My dad drinks IPAs, but he just tells me he reads the book on the toilet, which is, I think that's the biggest father's stamp of approval that your dad reads your book. It's like what he reads in the toilet. Yeah, most people don't say where they read their books. But. Well, you know, when you got a father, you know, I think they want to embarrass their child. Yeah. So uh, I want to call you uh, Wander Flora, at Wander Flora, Sarah. Um <laughs> You know, we're hanging out in New York. You, you get to travel a lot. You're in Boston. You know, what are some of your, your thoughts about the beer scenes that you're encountering? Ah, wow. That's a big question. Um, I'm pretty intrigued by a lot of it. Um, I don't know. North Carolina is, it's pretty general. Um, there's a, you know, two different, I think, kinds of brewing in North Carolina. You have your um, more corporate brewing, and then you have your your more niche brewing. Um, I don't know. Everywhere I've been outside of North Next Carolina, it's Josh like <laughs> a lot of really cool breweries I've run into. Um, some big hitters that I've looked up to since I've come into the scene. Like which ones? Oh man! Well, in Boston. Name names. <laughs> in Boston, <laughs> in Boston, like that I met um, at the event in particular. Oh, um, you know, Trillium is a is a brewery. They're they're. Um, that's that place is crazy. Um, you know, you know, it's funny about them. They started off as a they want to do a saison brewery, then the IPAs kind of took off, and they became sort of an IPA focused brewery. Yeah. So it's crazy how your business plans kind of a uh, switch on consumer demand. They evolve, you know, depending on what's going on. And what about you guys, Eric? I mean, were you always making an IPA? We, you know, we weren't so IPA focused. Uh, I think we are some are are more so now than we ever were. Um, I would say we do most styles. Uh, we cover the bases, and we sort of change seasonally. Um, we're doing a lot of lagers now, but you know you can't not make an IPA here and there. I would say. So, so when people come in to uh, Greenpoint, what, what's the typical order? Do you talk to bartenders about what people are asking for beer wise? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it is yeah. What's what IPAs do you have? That's the first question uh, most bartenders get. But um, it seems to be that and sours. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think people when they know they're going to a craft beer destination whether or not they're really into the scene they know that they can probably get a sour beer there even if they're not really into it so i think they get that question quite a bit um that and pilsner pilsner sells great and we love it i mean we're still in the pilsner world right now we're talking about ipas all day right now but i mean i mean 90 percent of the world give or take is drinking pilsners and lagers right now and i mean crisp refreshing they were the beer styles that really upended the global you know upended the world Let's talk about history. So, there's How much a, history? The anecdotes of IPA. Yeah. And what what was it? English 
India. Well, you know, you, travel what, on boats. It's your question, like what, <laughs> what, what about IPA? Do we kind of get wrong well, sometimes? Draw, draw, that's true. I want to draw to your book, like what you learned from this. Well, I think what's I mean, true, often, what isn't often, true. oftentimes we get fed this story about uh, the IPA. They added a bunch of hops to this beer, and it sailed over on the choppy waters, ended up in India, and everyone toasted and everyone drank IPA. But by that time in the 18th century, I mean, it was known that if you put more hops in the beer, it's going to survive this oceanic journey. And if you go back to England in the 18th century, they were drinking porter. They weren't drinking IPA. And so IPA kind of evolved out of this beer called the October Ale, which was what the landed gentry stored, like 10% beer, full of hops, thrown on a ship. It As it sailed across the water, maybe it got better with time, a little bit of rocking and back and forth. And uh, when the thing about it, too, I think like 85% of the beer, I think the stat was, is, was pretty much porter. So the rank and file all drank this generously hopped up porter. And only the upper class and the people with the money and the means drank what we would maybe consider the precursor to IPA. So it was, but I think we get fed this story over and over again that it was like the beer was on the ship and the extra hops survived the journey, but it was known for every style. It wasn't just India Pale Ale that became it. It wasn't until sort of the rise of a bass and Burton upon Trent that the mineral water, the, the mineral content of the water really. You know, it served to sharpen the hops and create this like nice bitterness, and really sort of laid the groundwork for what we consider sort of the modern IPA, like an English IPA style. Yeah, or you know, but I mean, it was it was the English style, and the English style kind of fed over into the U.S. style, and we had a small but um you know steady IPA market in the U.S. with uh, people like um oh, Ballantine's most like well known example. They were doing a. Uh, Bar- like, I think it was like barrel aged for a year plus, something like that. It was this marvelous example of IPA in the country that was just basically dulled down to what you drink at the bottom shelf of Bodega. It was. I mean, you get 40 ounces of Ballantine, three X's, you know, you're going to get drunk. <laughs> but nowadays, they've kind of revived the style a little bit and trying to go back. You're not always going to go back in time, be able to recreate anything. That's impossible. But I mean, they're trying to do a good stab of what sort of historical IPA in America was. So it's. It's really fascinating to watch how the IPA was here in the country, disappeared, and how it's kind of come back. And, beer, and it didn't always have a name, something like an Anchor Liberty Ale back in 75-ish uh, or so. You know, that's what you consider sort of a precursor to the modern IPA, but they couldn't even use a name for an IPA. And Celebration was from the early 80s, and they didn't call that the IPA. That was a Celebration Ale. But, I mean, it's a fresh-hopped beer that's done in the traditional IPA style. But, I mean, it's all about nomenclature and what we're doing and nowadays. Well, it's, you know, when you talk about history, it's nice to know that at some point gentry and elite people drank beer. You know, because even like in the 70s and 80s in this country, everyone thought only wine was the, the beverage for the elite. Was that with the 70s and 80s? I don't know. It I mean, was, like, man. It was I wine. mean, you got that Thunderbird. Like, what's the price? Born then, man. Whatever. But, <laughs> but what I'm getting to is like, TV. I've been reading a detective novel, Narrow Wolf by Rex Stout. And uh-huh. that's from the third to the 60s and his beer of choice was always his drink of choice was always a beer yeah and he's like a you know a, a, a gentleman who has like a townhouse and he's a detective and he's always getting a beer so you know, there is beer beer in our culture is a lot. Beer, beer is deep in our culture. I mean, we were. I mean, wine was considered crap in the country. Then, like, wine had the ascendancy, and now, you know, if you go back to the '80s, I mean, we would sneak wine coolers out from the local golf course. We'd sneak on there and like steal them, and then that's what we drank. Wine coolers were a thing, and like nowadays, no one would be caught dead drinking wine coolers. So trends come, trends go. But I mean, wine was not considered to be in great estimation in American culture for a long period of time. And I mean, just in the same way, beer kind of fell apart too, but... So good beer. So really, Ballantine's, you're saying like, 20th century, Ballantine's was, was like yeah, a newer, really yeah. good IPA. Great IPA, American yeah. American beer. Yeah. 
I mean, would it, be, would it be considered what we think about an IPA today? Probably not. It's going to be more aggressive, a bit more bittered up. But, I mean, everyone's got taste buds. So, But we're going to drink a coffee IPA now. Well, let's, let's, let's taste that. And then, Eric, for you, is, is there, like, something, a myth of beer in, in your mind somewhere, like going back 50 years, 100 years, grandpa, parents? Uh, or is I mean, there no myth of beer? <laughs> Josh mentioned the... the, the I guess East India Porter kind of style, which I think is totally you know accurate. Like the the troops would always drink the the, the hopped up porter versus the actual IPA. Um, myths though, um, I don't know. Guinness is caloric. There's like there's, I Guinness is strong. I think I think the myth is that dark beer equals strong beer. Yeah, that's oftentimes. True. I mean, yeah. everyone looks to the beer and they think color influences color influences strength. I was on doing a TV spot in Portland a couple weeks ago. We had a bunch of IPAs, like a barrel-aged double IPA, like a juicy IPA, you know, an orange cream skull IPA. And they're all kind of the same hue. And the, the host was like, oh, they're all the same color. And I was like, but kind of, but that doesn't really mean anything comparatively. Like what you're seeing is not what you're going to expect on your taste buds. Absolutely. And then for you uh, from in the South, are there any like beer myths or, or you know, a great classic beer that your grandfather drank or anything like that? Or is beer kind of new to the South? I don't know. Ah, well, you know, we've got light beer. (laughs) That's pretty (laughs) much the myth. Uh, You know, what he was saying about, uh, you know, the color dictating what you're going to taste. You know, we deal with that a whole lot. I think that's the biggest myth that I deal with in my job. Um, You know, just because it's light in color doesn't mean... It's going to be light in flavor. So we get that question a lot in the brewery, and we have to ask people to clarify, you know, what do you mean exactly by light beer? What are you looking for? So, And, and do, you, do you find people have the vocabulary to describe what they want? Absolutely or not. Yeah. yeah, it just depends. You can tell beer people from non-beer people immediately mm-hmm. by that. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess how can we get people from being a non-beer person to a beer person? Is it sort of about asking questions? Is it education on the part of, like, as writers and, like, brewery owners and brewers themselves? Certainly, and easing people into the idea that beer is more than just flavored water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that one. What about you, Eric? I mean, you you guys are running a a brewery and brew pub. Mm -hmm. So you you must – what what are questions from customers that you Um, have to figure out? I mean – I think a lot of people are really surprised that we have a brewery in the back. Um, sometimes it's not in plain view. But, um, yeah, a lot of questions. I think sometimes, like, we'll, we'll go a little overboard on the descriptions and the ingredients used. So I think there's a lot of questions about what is this hop? What is this malt that you mentioned here or this flavor note? So I think in education it's a lot about letting people taste beer and, and really just express what they're tasting. Like, what are you getting out of it? Like, just take a minute and, and and break it down, and I think that's how you build beer geeks. Okay, my last question, and it's kind of goofy, and it was on Facebook last night. So I was drinking and dust. the presidential election. <laughs> After the election, I was kicking back with the election, the debate, the industrial arts, state of the art IPA on tap at Jimmy's number forty three. Very proud to have that, and the, and the, the arc of that is you know people know Jeff O'Neill, he worked at Ithaca Brewing, made Ithaca Flower Power, then he was at Peekskill. So I, I joked and said, and someone had said to me last week, oh, this tastes like a Jeff O'Neill style IPA. And, and so talking about styles and origins, what would you, could you define what a Jeff O'Neill, I think you had something to say about it, a Jeff O'Neill style IPA would be. Because uh, to us in New York, he's like 
an IPA hero. Oh, no. I, I actually visited the brewery uh, a week uh, or two ago, and um, the beers are amazing. His, his brewery is is immaculate. It's uh, it's an amazing space. Um, but yeah, the, as soon as I tasted the beer, I'm like, this this is Jeff O'Neill for sure. It's got his signature. It's got this sort of gentle, round sweetness and um, big, bright, sort of uh, intensely fruity hops. It's not, you know, super hazy, murky. It's just really clean and well put together, but it's it's reminiscent of, you know, Peekskill. And, mm-hmm. I want to see what, where, where Josh has to say. I, I, I haven't had this beer yet, Jimmy, so unfortunately I cannot describe in such eloquent notes as Eric has done on there. But I think, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking about style. I think style's got... I talk about style in the book. I think style's got a use for the average consumer in the sense where it gives them a general framework of understanding what the beer is. I mean, you don't have to hit... Nothing has to be sort of the beer judge certification guidelines about everything to a T on there. But what a style does, be it Jeff O'Neill style, be it, uh, you know, double IPA, be it a wide IPA, it gives people an understanding of what to expect when they pick up a thing and open it up and taste it or smell it for the first time. So that's why I think um, there's not a battle about the utility of style, but I think it, it is useful when used as a general framework, but not as a rigid box something must fit into. That's great, man. I, I really appreciate you came on the show. And a big shout-out to the complete IPA book by Josh Bernstein. You What's should that? all get it, man. It'll pay for my daughter's school clothes. <laughs> and, and I'm going to have to taste through. We're going to have to try to taste through every, every beer in that book. Do you have a challenge or something like that? We have a check. You can check off all the beers in back. We could also do a time-lapse radio show. Oh, yeah. Well, there is a checklist in the back. That's pretty cool. So yeah. if anyone goes through and, and checks off can taste every I, I went through quite a few of them if you've tasted all the IPAs in Josh's book I'll give you, know, you a button we're going to give you something I'll give you, <laughs> you know, a button we're going to do button. something so. <laughs> and then Josh anything else you got the can jam any, anything uh, else yeah we're doing up? a fun uh, doing a fun event at Covina in uh, NYC a pizza and a beer party on uh, October 11th and October 22nd we're doing an IPA crawl with um LIC Beer Project, oh gosh, Rockaway Brewing, which is making a special IPA. Chris Kuzme is forthcoming brewery and Big Alice. Family, yeah. Yep. Then our friends. So a New York City crawl. Yeah. Then our friends from Arcane Distilling are going to be um, distilling down the IPA the Rockaway is making. So we're having IPA whiskey. All right. And then Eric, anything at Greenpoint? Uh, Oktoberfest, uh, October eighth. So we've brewed an Oktoberfest. We have a bunch of other lagers as well. So Pilsner, Keller beer, smoked Tellus. Hopefully. And Sarah, where are we going tonight in New York City? Oh, we're going to go to tours. And have the 12-hour party with Fonta (laughs) and Justin Kennedy. You could almost have a 12-hour party because the bars are open at 4 in the morning. That's crazy. And, you know, Cider Week's coming up. Cider Week in New York City. In October, we'll have a bunch of special cider shows airing on this network. And another big shout-out, NewYorkCityCraftBeerFest.com is October 14th. And 15th, and uh, hey, it's a great time of year. I- I'm really glad an IPA book came out because I-, I can drink IPAs every night. So cheers to you, Josh. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, everybody. Cheers Justin and Maggie, you, producers and David, engineer. And thanks for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Cheers to Beer Sessions Radio. All right, guys. Cheers, Woo! Woo! Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.